Hey, if you got your Bible, you can turn that on to Luke chapter 15. And uh, we're going to get into the Word today. Hey, I'm going to get into a familiar passage of Scripture uh, this morning that you guys have all heard. We've all heard this parable in Luke chapter 15. And I want to talk a little bit this morning about what coming home looks like and what who you are because you came home. How many of you are glad you're home, not just home at LifeGate, but that you're home in the kingdom of God, that you're part of the family of God? And what does that mean? Because I, I think a lot of times we bring in some old mindsets. And uh, for the last, I don't know, decade, God has really been dealing with me about this thing about my identity, about who I am because I came home because I came into the kingdom who Josh Brown is. How many know the, the old Josh Brown died like over 20 years ago and, and the new Josh Brown was born. That's why we're born again. We're born into this family. And this scripture tells us a lot about what it looks like in Luke chapter 15. And again, we're real familiar with it, but let's read it. Luke 15 verse 11, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want to share your estate now before you die. Oh, that's nice. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land where he wasted his money in wild living. About this time, his money ran out and a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him out to his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that the pods he was feeding, the pigs, looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, Self, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please just take me on as a hired servant. So we returned home to his father. I love this verse 20. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him, and said to, and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick! Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead. And now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the party begin. You know, the thing that I love so much about this story is the son went home seeking mercy, but he found grace. And that's just like my story. It's just like your story. If you've came home, you were seeking mercy from a just God, but instead of just giving you mercy, instead of giving you a pardon, he gave you grace. He knew that his father was a merciful man. He knew that his father was a good man, that he would at least maybe let him live in the back where the servants live. Maybe he'll just let me come home. At least I won't be homeless. At least I won't be eating pig food. I'll just be a slave for my father. But his father said, no, son, you'll come back as a son. You know, we see this five things that happen. Now, five is the number of grace. If you don't know that, the father saw him. The father was filled with compassion. The father ran to him. 
The father embraced him, and the father kissed him. That would be enough. It would be enough if that's what the father did. And the father would be merciful if he said, all right, I, there's, a little, there's a spot because one of the servants has moved along. There's a little spot. You can come be a servant. That would have been mercy. It would have been a good man for him to do that. But how many, and that would have been grace. But Jesus, it says in John chapter 116 that he provides grace upon grace. So it would have been gracious for your heavenly father to let you live in the back, in the shed. That would have been grace. But he doesn't just give just grace. He gives grace upon grace. And I want to talk a little bit about what that grace looks like because of the gifts that the father gave the son. The first gift that the father gave the son was the finest robe. The finest robe. Now, if you know anything about robes in Scripture or clothing in Scripture, clothing always speaks of our righteousness. It always speaks of our goodness is a good word for that. Uh, the, the clothes on this, bo- this boy had become stinky. They smelled like pigs, right? He had been hanging out with pigs. If you know anything about Jewish culture, pigs were an unclean animal. So his garb smelled like pigs. He was stinky. He was filthy. He had manure on them. That's a nice word for poop, if you didn't know that. And listen, it was his fault. It was the son's fault. He knew he wasn't worthy. He knew he stank. He knew he was as unclean as the pigs he was tending. And it says in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You're right. No matter how good you are, no matter how well society knows your name or says you're good, no matter how how many charitable things you do, even coming to the church and doing good church work doesn't make you righteous. Your righteousness is like filthy rags. But see, this son wasn't wearing his old rags anymore. The father said, bring him the finest robe. Now, check this out. Now, you got to you got to realize something. When we're talking about the kingdom, we're talking about royalty. Now, the, ro- the finest robe for a rich man is great, but the finest robe for royalty, that's a royal robe. Now, it says this, the finest robe. It wasn't just a good robe. I think the servants, when he said, quick, go get him a robe, I think that they started running around the house. You know, the servants took their shoes off, and they ran in the house. They went, and they, they looked in the linen closet and said, oh, this is a nice robe. And then they ran over to the coat closet said, this is a nice robe. They ran over to the brother's closet and they said, this is a nice robe. Maybe this robe will do, but, but the father asked for the finest robe. Well, where's the finest robe? The finest robe is in the father's room. So they ran to the father's room and opened the father's closet. And there was the finest robe. The finest robe in the house was the father's robe. It was the robe of righteousness. See, check this out. Isaiah 6110 says, he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. The finest robe in the house is the king's robe. It's the king's righteousness. See, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin, that you and I might receive the righteousness of God. See, you're not as righteous as you. You're not as righteous as Pastor Chad, and he's super righteous right? You, you are not as righteous as the most noble person you've ever met. You have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? That means that you're as righteous as God is. 
That means you're as righteous as you can be. You have the finest robe. So put on your finest robe. Clothe yourself with the righteous robe of royalty. The second gift that the father gives the son is this ring. Now rings in those times spoke of identity and they spoke of the rights as family. You guys remember the story of Joseph and Joseph wore Pharaoh's ring. What did that say? That it said that, hey, he's part of the family. He has the same rights and authority as the king does. You guys remember the story of Joseph? Now, John chapter 1, verse 12 says this, To all who have received him, to those that believed in his name, he gave them the right. The Greek word there is exousia, the right, the authority to become a child of God. You weren't a child of God before, but because you came to Jesus, because you came home, you were now a child of God. And listen, let me say this also. Because you belong to him, you have that royal ring on, and everything that God has belongs to you. All the joy that you lack, all the peace that you lack, all the strength that you lack, God has what you need, and you have a right to it. You have refrigerator rights, right? You know, it would be annoying. Let's just be straight. It would be really annoying if my nine-year-old came to me every time he wanted something out of the fridge or the pantry and had to ask for it, especially when he's nine years old and he eats all the time. No, he has pantry rights. He has refrigerator rights. Why? Because he belongs to the family. It's his house. So everything in the house He has a right to. And let me say this also. He also has a right to delegate it. Did you know the strength that your friend might need? The hope that your friend might need? You don't have to just ask God for it. You actually have the authority to delegate it. The healing your sick neighbor needs, you have authority to it. You have the right to it. You have the ring on. Use the ring. You have the authority because you're a child of God. The third gift that the father gives this son are sandals for his feet. Now, in the culture of the day, guests didn't wear shoes in the house. Some cultures still today, guests go to a house. They don't wear shoes in the house. They take off the shoes. Some of you have been in foreign countries before. They take off shoes before they go into the house. Why? Because guests don't wear shoes in the house. Guess who else didn't wear shoes in the house? Slaves didn't wear shoes in the house. I think if the son had shoes, he had taken those shoes off to go to the house and say, I don't plan on having any rights here. I just want to come in as a servant. I just want to come in as a guest. Just let me come in and eat a meal, and then I'll be on my way, or I can live out back. But the father said, no, bring sandals for his feet. Did you know in those days the only person that could wear sandals in the house was the owner of the house? The only one that would wear sandals would be the owner of the house. Possibly the son was saying, I don't plan on going inside, Dad. I'm just here to be a servant. I I don't want to have any rights. And if that don't work out, if you don't let me come as a servant, then I'll, I'll just be here as a guest, just for a visit. But Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says this, You have not received a spirit that makes you a fearful slave. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. 
See, some of you have been serving God like a slave. Some of you have been paying your bills like a slave. Some of you have been serving at church like a slave, like a burden. This is your house. This is your kingdom. You're a part of the family. So put on the shoes the Father provided. This is your house. The fourth thing that happens is the Father throws a feast. You know, it's interesting. The son's whole motivation for going home was that he was hungry. It's a good motivator for a young man, right? Even the servants eat better than these pigs. His whole motivation was hunger, and the father blows him away with a feast. What he hoped for was a meal fit for a servant, yet in the kingdom we get to eat like kings. I love Luke 15, 23, kill the calf we've been fattening. You know, one of the things I love about this story is that there was an expectation in the father. He saw the son when the son was a long way off, and he had been fattening a calf. I think the father was hoping that this day would come. So when it came, he was standing out on the porch waiting for that boy to come home, just like he had waited day after day, just like he's waiting today for some of you. He's been waiting on that porch saying, you know what, when are they going to come home? Or when are they going to start acting like sons? When are they going to quit hoping to be slaves of God or servants of God? And when will they start walking in their identity? Listen, he doesn't just open the door. He doesn't just open the door when we come home. He's not like, well, all right. You've been pretty bad. I mean, you smell like a pig. You are dirty. We kind of think God's like that sometimes. God's frustrated at us because we've squandered our inheritance because we've played in the mud, played in the poop, because we stink, because we're rotten, because we've made bad decision after bad decision. But the Father is hopeful for you. The Father desires you. He wants you. He wants to clothe you. And he wants to have a party, not just open the door. So how do we go from prodigal to prince? Because sometimes we're in the kingdom and we still have the mentality like a prodigal son. Right? Poor me. Things would just go my way. If I was just a little bit more fortunate, if I would have been born on the right side of the tracks, if I came from a better family, we bring these mentalities, these slave mentalities, these prodigal mentalities into the kingdom. And the father says, this is not who you are. How do we come from that place? So the first thing you got to do is you got to come to your senses. That's the first thing that happened to this boy. He came to his senses. When are you going to realize that when we're singing, you are good, you are good, we're singing reality. We're not just singing songs so to, to fill up some space in the service or so you can feel a little better. We're making declarations of a reality. And some of you need to encounter the reality that God is good. He is good. Oh, oh, he is good. And you can sing that song forever. And you don't get bored of it. Why? Because you are living, when you live life in the kingdom, you start realizing how good God really is. You start seeing it unfold. And some of you need to be awakened, awakened to the reality that God is good. And he wants to reveal his goodness to you. It's not about what the Bible tells you or what you've seen in somebody's life. God wants to reveal it to you. Come to your senses. 
He is, and let me tell you this, no matter how good you think he is, he's better than that. He's better than you think he is. So you go ahead. I, I love Ephesians where it says he can do exceedingly more above what you can ask or imagine. I've got a big imagination. He's bigger than that. Bigger than I can imagine. Better than I can imagine. Come to your senses. Number two, come home. Come home. Just come home. The only, the only requirement for reconciliation is coming home. That's all the, the son did. He didn't have to go out and earn his inheritance back. He didn't have to go take a shower. He just had to come home and allowed the father to clean him up. Allowed the father to get him ready for the party. And some of you are home. And some of you need to join the party because you're acting like the older brother. Anybody else ever have older brother syndrome? I mean, I've been serving the Lord for a long time. And I see people come in. I'm like, Lord, like I've been... I've been serving for like 20 years, and they're like, they're, they like got saved six months ago. What? You ever act like the older brother? Join the party. You know, if, if you study this story, this story is really about the older son and how not to be. Join the party. Come home and join the party. Number three, understand your value. You are valuable. I know that we get into this kind of like posture that says, oh, I'm just not worthy. I'm just not worthy. And you're so spiritual too, right? I'm just, sorry. Sarcastic sometimes. Understand your value. Listen, Jesus didn't come to leave you pitiful and rotten and and in despair and discouraged. I mean, do you understand how much he paid for you? Let me, let, me, let me share this with you. The cross is more about his love than your rebellion. The cross is more about our acceptance than our repentance. And it's more about our value than our sin. Now, now don't get me wrong. Sin is stupid and it will ruin your perspective. But you've got to understand something. James 1.18 says this about you. That you are his most prized possession. You're his most prized possession. You are. I don't know about you, but I'm proud of my most prized possessions. I have a 1984 Schwinn bike in my garage. I know it's older than most of you. It's older than me. Or not. It's one of my most prized possessions as far as things are concerned. And so when I start talking with somebody about bikes, it immediately comes up. You know, I think the Heavenly Father looks at us with great delight, not mostly despair. Does God hate sin? Absolutely. But he mostly looks at you with eyes of delight. He loves you. He is driven towards you. I, I think when we're, I think sometimes whenever we're going through the struggle, and even when we wake up and we just have just 
a tenth more hope than we did yesterday. I think the Lord is calling the angels and going, hey, 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 come here. Look at Chris. Look at him digging it. Look how hard it is. And look at him. He loves you. He sees you as valuable. Um, one of my favorite football players, athletes of all time, is Brett Favre. And last summer, Brett went into the Hall of Fame. I, I know, I know you aren't real happy because you're Cowboy fans. Uh, you can pray for me. Um, it's probably not going to work, but you can pray for me. Um, I remember when I became a Brett Favre fan, it was a Monday night, and he was playing in Oakland, and his dad had died the day before that. And I remember watching this man come out and give everything he had and play football that night. Some of y'all probably saw that game. And at that moment, I became a Brett Favre fan. And Brett stood up last year, last summer, to receive his Hall of Fame induction. And he started sharing stories. He was supposed to talk for, I think, 10 minutes. He ended up talking for like 40 minutes. He probably should be a preacher. Um, and he gets up and he starts sharing stories about his dad and how his dad was really the motivation for his career. And this is why he played that night, the day after his dad died. And his wife told him on the plane that night, whenever they were leaving Oakland to go home to start making funeral arrangements, his wife Deanna said, hey, Brett, you know, your dad really wanted to introduce you into the Hall of Fame. And he said at that moment he had never thought. It's crazy. He was already amazing. He had never thought about going to the Hall of Fame before. So he's get, he gets up there and he starts sharing if you know anything about Brett, at one time he had every passing record, including interceptions, uh, there, there could be in the NFL, every passing record. And so he's standing up there and he's talking and he, he starts sharing about a moment that he had when he was in high school. And he had had a bad game uh, the week before, probably a streak of bad games, and it was the final game of his high school football career. And he, could, he overheard it. It was a big game. He could overhear his dad. He said it was dark. He was sitting outside the office, and he could hear his dad and a couple of the other coaches talking about Brett and how they probably needed to replace him in that game. And he says he hears his father say this. He said, I can assure you one thing about my son. He will play better. He will redeem himself. I know my son. He has it in him. And Brett went on to say that those are the words that fueled the rest of his career. He said, I don't even remember how well he played that next game. But he remembered for the rest of his NFL career, he remembered his father saying, I know my son. I know he has it in him. And I'm sitting here in a hotel room last summer watching this, and I was just beginning to cry. I was like, that is how my heavenly father sees me. He looks at me and he says, that's my son. I know he might not have played well yesterday or last week, but he's going to do good. I know he has it in him. I know he has it in him. We have to embrace, this is number four, we have to embrace our new identity. We have to embrace our new identity. Jesus did not come, listen, Jesus did not come to improve our identity. This is important. Listen, he didn't come to improve your identity. He came to transform it. You're not just a little better than you were before. You're royalty. You're not a slave. You're a son. Colossians 3, verse 3 says, For you died, 
and your life is now hidden in Christ. You died, and your life is now hidden in Christ. You know, many times we share this story, and we call it the story of the prodigal son. We call it the story of the lost son. In fact, your Bible probably says that as the title, the the prodigal son or the lost son. Why do we do that? This isn't the story of the lost son. It's the story of the found son. It's not the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of the prince son. We do this all the time, don't we? Simon the leper in Scripture. He wasn't a leper anymore, not after he encountered Jesus. We call Thomas Doubting Thomas. He's not Doubting Thomas anymore. We, we call the woman caught in adultery the woman caught in adultery instead of the woman that Jesus delivered from alive. Listen, some of you are living, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You are a son of God. You used to be a sinner. That was your identity, but that's not who you are anymore. In fact, some of you keep sinning because you keep calling yourself a sinner. I'm just a sinner. Well, come on home. Because you died, and your life is hidden in Christ. Paul said that one time, one time, I believe this is in 1 Timothy, he said something about being the chief of sinners. You know how many times he calls you saint? Over 40 times, child of God. That is your identity. So come home.